Welcome to another episode of the Star Wars Lads podcast. I'm Sonic, and I'm joined again by the other two lads, Liam and Jared. Um, before we start our episode, we want to give a special shout out to Star Wars Now This. Um, once we started our podcast, uh, we started sharing it around to different Star Wars groups and to our friends and family, and we were contacted by uh star wars now this who is i guess uh cataloging almost every star wars podcast that is out there at this moment um and in that process he also came up with um celebrating star wars podcast day which is if i'm correct uh is on the 7th of february which is the date when i believe the first star wars podcast ever started back in early 2000 and late 90s so there's about like 80 or 90 of us participating in this um just hashtag star wars podcast day um and you know we're just trying to show our thanks to everyone with their perspectives on star wars obviously star wars has brought us all together but being able to talk about star wars is a way to you know really understand and appreciate the universe and the stories that are told even more more so so we're on star wars podcast day as well um now moving on to the big parts of our episode we're going to start off with our first main topic which is our test of courage final review um i think we should uh, pass the mic over to liam uh, liam what are your thoughts on test of courage yeah test of courage uh is a short junior novel by Justina Ireland, um, and we briefly touched on it last week when we were beginning it, but it is a really, really good book. Um, I personally think it's the best of all the junior novels that uh, Lucasfilm Publishing or Del Rey have put out for the canon. And uh, it It's a more character-centric story versus Light of the Jedi. Uh, this book follows five main characters, uh, Vernestra Rowe, Emery Kantaros, Avon Staros, Honesty, I forgot what his last name is, and uh, Avon's droid J6, uh, who are on a ship called the Steady Wing. And it is sabotaged by the Nile, which we know from the beginning of the book, but the characters don't know until the end. Um, and it is eventually, they're able to escape, everybody else on the ship dies, and they are stuck on this planet and have to survive. And it's a, it's a great little short story. You can read it very quickly. And it gives us a lot more insight to the mind of young Jedi, young people, I guess, at the time, the High Republic. I found personally, Ernesto Rowe and Emery Kantaros be very compelling characters. Emery especially, he is very um, complex and more of the or the prequel era Jedi terms, where he is pulled to the dark side, often by his feelings of rage and anger towards his master getting killed on the steady wing. He has to deal with that um, throughout the story. And around him, he only has Jedi Knight, Renster Rowe, who is one of the youngest Jedi Knights to ever assume the position and go through the trials. And he's slightly jealous of her because she's just barely older than him. But she's so composed and so calm. And I found their dynamic dynamic very 
uh, say, strong. Um, it's it's kind of the you know Anakin Obi Wan type of of dynamic where one is very emotional and very in tune with with uh, who he is and and how he's feeling. Where the other one is is might have kind of assumed responsibility a little younger than she uh, was ready for. And so she's trying to not only lead this group of people, but also keep her, uh, or this Padawan's emotions in check as they go through this very trying journey. It's, I would, I highly recommend this book. It's not really the tell-all uh, High Republic novel that's going to really broaden the universe as we've kind of talked about with Light of the Jedi and a lot of the other books uh, that we hope are coming that really give us a solid ground for this entire universe and, and the way it works and all the politics and everything and Light of the Jedi is a great start but this is also on the flip side it's a very personal story that it's very much in so, into the minds of the characters and each chapter goes into a different character's point of view and so, yeah, I think if you're looking for a quick read and you want to uh, stay in this High Republic era, this will add something to the era, if I had to guess, by the end of it. Not, with, not just with characters, if these characters are mentioned again in other books, um, but also just for understanding how Jedi, especially Jedi Padawans at the time, are feeling about the trials and about denial and new threat that a uh, that faces them. Yeah, I think that's a really great overall summary. Uh, I guess a great, great way to sell the book as well. Um, I think if you have like digital version like I do, it's only 130 pages and compared to like the 300 something of uh, the, uh, what is it, Light of the Jedi, it is a lot more appealing, you know, just to get a story, a taste of you know, what this whole new High Republic era is about. Uh, for myself personally, um, I I don't know. I just, I really did like this story. Um, I know we were discussing like, Queen Shadow and other canon novels that had come out at this point and how while they're great character studies, they don't necessarily add anything. They don't necessarily tell an exciting story. I mean, there are obviously cool things that happen and whatnot, but it's more of like adding a little bit of color and richness to the things that we already know. And, you know, getting this perspective about someone like Vernestra Rowe, someone like Emery Contaros, you know, um, the, those characters, Avon Staros, you know, from the Star Wars, Star Wars clan that was introduced in uh, the original Star Wars line where uh, Sana Staros is the fake wife of Han Solo. Um, you know, it, it's like it, it allows us to connect these different dots like we have in the current canon. But now we actually get to like really live these characters out, let them breathe, let them be who they are. Um, and like you mentioned, Vernestra Rowe and Emery, I think their dynamic is really great. But I think I want to give special mention to Honesty on Avon. Um, Honesty is just like this, I, I don't want to say like a Luke Skywalker stand-in. But he's definitely someone from a more less uh, technologically dependent planet, uh, much more in tune with just 
the values of the land and the earth that allows them to grow and thrive as a society. Whereas you see someone like Avon, she's this, described as this, like this quirky genius. Like you give her pieces of wire, she's in tech and she knows what to do. She's got her own protocol droid, J6. She was like a former bodyguard droid, but, you know, is also her nanny droid. Like just those complete opposites, you know, it's interesting because she, she's always analyzing and inspecting everyone around her. She wants to know more about uh, Emery and Vernestra's lightsabers because she just wants to find out what else can these crystals power. And then you see honesty was like, I, I like guidelines. I like being in these tight rules because that's where I find comfort. That's where I know that things don't go bad. And for them to just be caught up in all these Nile activities, to be on a ship that's sabotaged, where each character at this point is like, you know, not totally sure of themselves, right? They're just starting to become who they are or who they want to be. Um, I mean, that's a great starting off point, but then to see them, how they interact, how they try to survive with each other, what are the thoughts in their head that are going on? It's really great. And then going back to Vernestra and Emery, I mean, yeah, Vernestra is 15 and she's a Jedi Knight. I mean, when we look at the prequels, right, we thought we keep on seeing how padawans are too old right or luke was too old to be trained or anakin was too old to be trained emotions connections but you know we never really consider like is someone too young to have reached that final stage to reach one of the most important aspects of a jedi's life and vernestra is 15 and she's considered like a prodigy in her own way just like how avon is with technology she's like trying to be like a 25 year old 30 year old but she's also 15. She clearly is like, you know, trying to live up to these lofty expectations, but she's also not trying to be overwhelmed by them. I, I mean, I think this being a young reader book, we don't really see too much about her struggles because she has to be like the strong person of the group, the one like the guiding voice. But it, it was nice to know that there's like a character that is relatable in a ways, but also so distant from a lot of people who are reading it because being 15 you're like okay this is like an ahsoka for us this is someone that you can see all their emotions out loud you can see how she reacts and deals with different things but she's not like ahsoka she's much more controlled she's much more in tune with the force she's very self-critical but only because she wants to become better and better whereas you see someone like emory who's like you mentioned he's kind of like the prequel jedi in the way his emotions are kind of swirling, uh, kind of overwhelming of himself. But, you know, he's also not someone who's too assured of himself. His uh, lightsaber at some point in the story is not functioning because everything about his connection to the Force and the lightsaber itself feels off. He's overwhelmed by his master's death on the steady wing where Honesty's father, the ambassador, also dies. Um, and to then pair these two to work together it's interesting because they could have just been like, all right, we're going to be both young people here working out, trying to keep everyone else safe. But Emery also has these feelings of jealousy. He's like, how is she so good? We're like the same age. I'm like only a year or two younger. All right. Especially near the end when he's like dealing with a lot of his emotions and makes a lot of bad choices that are very akin to Anakin, like in 
Attack of the Clones and Clone Wars and uh, what is it? Uh, Revenge of the Sith. He has someone like Vernestra to, you know, help him remind like, okay, no, this is, I understand your pain. I understand your feeling, but think about your master. Think about all these things. And it's interesting because I, I, I know I'm rambling here and all that, but he's, he's a character who, if you put him in the prequels, would have been like Anakin, would have fallen headfirst into his darker emotions, into the dark side. Um, and Vernestra, the way she treats him, she kind of treats him like a Qui-Gon would or, uh, or how an Obi-Wan would. But I don't know if those two would have been able to entirely convince him as she did. I think by showing her own strength, by showing her own humility in a way, he remembers like, okay, like, this is not who I am. This is, I'm just being driven by this pain. I need to really think these things out. And it really reflects the story as a whole. Like these are characters who are trying to survive, but in the process of surviving, realize that all these little things have been adding up that they realize they haven't been in sync with who they are. They're changing. They don't know who they are. They have past memories and trauma that they have to deal with. And when something suddenly goes bad for all of them at once, it's kind of hard to keep all those things that were already part of you from leaking out. And I think that was what made this story really fun to read. Yeah, and I want to go back to Emery real quick too, because he gives us such a different perspective than Light of the Jedi does with most of their Jedi. And even Bell, uh, who is, I believe, the only real apprentice we get acquainted with, in in light of the jedi <clears throat> excuse me uh emery is the first real uh fleshed out character in in all of the high republic so far uh as we get closer to into the uh into the dark to lean towards the dark side at all and so we're brought up in this era that's so uh, the Jedi are so powerful and such at the top of their game that we kind of, we don't have the Sith or, or any dark Jedi or any type of dark side stuff to go with as the villain for this era. And yet we're still getting stories of, of Jedi being pulled to the dark. I thought that was fascinating too, because I wonder if that's going to come into play at all anymore. I mean, I'm assuming for Emery as a character, it will, but will the dark side be prevalent at all in the future high republic stories that wasn't something i was expecting to get at all really in the high republic i mean great points i think from myself just adding on to that it's i mean how, how, how do i put it i don't know it's it's difficult to look at the jedi in the light of the jedi and say that they're flat i mean obviously there's some characters that because the nature of their stories they do die early on um we, we're more you know connected to their personalities and just their dialogue with other characters as opposed to what they do and what they achieve so it's hard to like fully embrace those characters to this you know really think of them as like oh fully fleshed out characters but they're not flat either 
Whereas here in Test of Courage, because it focuses on such a smaller group of people, you know, part of the consequences of this overarching, you know, essentially terrorist plot against the galaxy at this point, that, I don't know, I found Vernestra and Emery to be probably some of my favorite Jedis. And yeah, I, I really like Bell. I really like Loden Storm. Those guys are equal or if not even more appealing because of how much more time we get to spend with them. Um, and I mean, Elzar, man, there, there's so many Jedi in Lighted Jedi. Don't get me wrong, that are fleshed out, really fun to follow, really intriguing already. But, you know, their thoughts, their internal dialogue aren't things that are really dived into. They're more used as setups for either their eventual death or they're just used as like moments of respite as opposed to something that is a constant fluctuation that normal people have about who they are, what they're doing, the different thoughts and things that have consequences in the life, which is where all these characters shine because they're always thinking about their relationship. They're always thinking about why this thing happened. How does it make them feel? Um, I guess being a young reader novel in a way, it's, it's pretty nice that you can have kids be engaged with those emotions as well. Um, it might be a little less unsubtle than we'd like, but I think it does. I think the way Justina Ireland writes it, she balances that out really well. Yeah, I would agree, and I think I think we would definitely will get more into the personal side of the Force for all those characters that we met in the Light of the Jedi. But yeah, it just was. It struck me as very interesting to see their first foray into the dark side as part of a junior novel as opposed to the first big, huge adult novel that came up. And I'm not sure what the plot of The Dark is. I'm trying to, to not spoil anything myself before we read Yeah, I, I think Into the Dark is also, just from my glimpses, it's going to be more of a smaller scale story, kind of like Test of Courage. So it's not going to be numerous Jedi or, uh, you know, big galaxy-spanning events. So... Maybe we'll see a lot more of this sort of thing. Maybe it's not going to be about the dark side necessarily, or like the hinges of the dark side, but who knows? I mean, we know that the High Republic also has the Drengir, those plant-like creatures that seem to be connected to the dark side. Those are characters that we still haven't met. Maybe that's what Into the Dark is about. But yeah, I, I totally see your point. At this point, there's not like an established uh, Sith Order, right? Um, no, I th yeah, not in the books. It hasn't, like, we know that the High Republic eventually, as it ends, will lead into the Acolyte, that live-action TV show that has been right, right. Uh, announced. How, how much is connected to the Sith, if there's a Sith Order? Those are, I don't know, I don't think those are things that will know you in for a long time and to what... To what degree? Um, I know there's a character in the High Republic comic, uh, Keeve Trennis, who's the apprentice of uh, the Trandoshan Jedi Master Skier. Um, in Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, when we see Jocasta Nu and Obi-Wan in the library, uh, they talk about 
Obi-Wan. I don't know if it's in a deleted scene or if it... Sorry, they talk about Count Dooku. I don't know if it's in a deleted scene or it's in the movie, but they talk about the Lost 20 and how he's part of that. And there's a Jedi named Trennis who is part of that. So maybe she goes towards the dark side. Maybe she leaves the Order or something or she's killed off and people assume that she just left. I mean, I don't know. There, There isn't really much to say about the Sith presence at this point other than like, oh, even like the characters in this book are like, it's been centuries since, you know, they were Sith roaming the galaxy. Mm, yeah, it's like more kind of abstract, right? Abstract like and just like uh, myths, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're alive, but nobody knows they're alive. Uh-huh, gotcha. Right now. So I would assume... And I also would be uh, feeling bad for any of our Jedi characters who met a Sith at this time, because that would mean they would probably get killed because no one knows about them. The Phantom Menace. Uh, but but yeah, I would I would think maybe we could lean more into the Sith very much so at the end of all this, but I think for now uh, the Sith will probably have very little to absolutely no involvement. Just based on these two books, but we still have four more coming out this year, I think. So who knows? But yeah, I think the Nile, uh, the Nile have they've set the Nile up to be a fairly uh, intimidating threat for the Jedi, especially because of their unpredictability and their just sheer numbers and viciousness. So I think for the Jedi at this time. They're depicted as so, so passive, and until we get into this book in light of the Jedi, they're so they're so passive and so feeling in the Force. They they're so enveloped in just the way the Force feels around them and the way the Force feels throughout the galaxy. I, I feel like uh, the Nile could consume all of their attention, or maybe we could get something about the Sith later. We're acting behind the scenes behind Nile. Uh, Jedi conflict. That could be interesting, but I don't think that's going to be a part of main series. Yeah. I mean, again, <laughs> this is all just theorizing from us. Right? We have bits and clues. Um, obviously, we also have desires and wants for what the High Republic will eventually shape up to be. But, yeah, I mean, regardless I think we can definitely say Test of Courage is a really, really strong second book to dive into um, after The Light of the Jedi. Um, I guess a big talking point that comes out of this book um, is less about the big plot that comes around it, but I think for me what's interesting is Vernestra is now master to Emery. If I got that correct, right? Yeah. She takes him as her apprentice and at the very end. Which is a really, really interesting of dynamic to set up because we know that Vernestra is going to be in Out of the Shadows. Um, but yeah, I don't know how much Emery is going to be part of that story now. Um, I don't know how what her role in the story is, but I know that she's on the cover and she appears to be one of the bigger Jedi in the story. And, I mean, let's be real, a 15-year-old training, like, a 14-year-old, like, that, I, people 
I think uh, fairly said that like you know Anakin and Obi Wan was like already pretty close in age, but then Anakin and Ahsoka's even closer to age. And I mean, Anakin does not have very mature tendencies in the Clone Wars, and he rubs off so much on Ahsoka till until she finally reaches her breaking point, and then she you know, obviously makes her own life choices and follows her own path. Not entirely of her will, obviously, but still. But now to have characters that are like only years apart, all right, like like two to one or two years apart, that's I don't know. I don't know what you think about that, Liam. I don't know how that I, I don't know how that I'm interested, I'm excited for it, but I don't know how that dynamic's gonna work out. Yeah, I'm very interested in that too, because I think one of the things that goes wrong between Anakin and Obi-Wan is Obi-Wan doesn't really try to act his age. He doesn't try to relate to Anakin, he tries to be Qui-Gon Jinn. And I think if Obi-Wan was more himself, which he is later once Anakin is old enough to kind of be an equal to him, but uh, when Anakin's young, I don't think he really tries to relate because he's trying so hard to be a replacement to Qui-Gon Jinn that he kind of doesn't create his own identity for Anakin. But what Anakin does well with Ahsoka is he's he's just Anakin. In this, and I think that runs, rubs off well on Ahsoka, even if... She, she starts to do some things that most Jedi would consider questionable, but I think with this, it'll be interesting because Vernestra definitely has more of that Obi-Wan Qui-Gon feel where she's more stoic. She's less, she's not very emotional, especially for being someone so young. And so seeing if she tries to relate to Emery will be the most interesting part because she and Emery, I think there's, there's definitely going to be that jealousy complex still going throughout their relationship especially because they in this book they duel and she beats him and he not only is he jealous of her being uh slightly older than him and already a jedi knight but she's defeated him in combat and basically you know proved that she's better than him in almost every way of being a jedi so i think that's going to constantly plague their relationship and i wouldn't be surprised doesn't go well but i think at the same time if she tries to come to his level and tries not to be holier than thou and tries to relate to him i think it could prove to be a good match because they are kind of experiencing the same things especially at their ages yeah totally i mean she is i don't know if repressed is the right word but she's very much holding a lot of things about herself at bay. Um, I know, like, one interaction that really stood out to me was when she described that in her dream, she was, like, persuaded to... Uh, how, how do I put it? Like, persuaded to just suddenly make adjustments to her lightsaber um, and to make it into a light whip, kind of like Lumia's. But I, from what it's been described, it seems more like the handle is still like a lightsaber, but the blade itself moves like a light whip. But anyways, um, when she brings that up to Emery, because she has to, because she's like, okay, this makes this process of getting to safety a lot easier. His first thoughts go to like the Night Sisters and all that, and you know, she kind of defends herself, and he has to respect her on that because he is still the Padawan. He is still, you know, he is still the one who is the second command at best in this situation. And, I mean, even, like, just a discussion about, like, what's right or wrong, right, makes him consider 
like his darker emotions, his feelings, which is I think something that Vernestra is gonna have to really like work on. Like, what is she allowed to say? All right, versus what does she need to say? She seems to be someone who's preoccupied with expectations and you know righteousness so much that she doesn't necessarily question her own actions too much. She doesn't really question uh, her dream for getting the light whip. And more so than that, she is a child prodigy, right? Anakin was a child prodigy, but, you know, Anakin and Obi-Wan's relationship and the Council's own fears forced him to be in an apprenticeship for 10 years. Whereas, I mean, you look at like Ahsoka and Anakin, she's basically a Jedi Knight by the end of the war in a few years. Uh, and a lot of that, I think, as bad of an influence as Anakin can be, she was also just that talented herself and a lot of the good qualities about Anakin rubbed off on her. But when it comes to Vernestra and Imri, right, it's like I think of like child prodigies who like go to college when they're 12 or 13. Yeah, they, they know everything that people like five, six, seven years older than them know. But, you know, they don't adjust socially, all right? It's almost like the climb towards the prodigy is almost their peak in their life because once they start aging and everyone kind of reaches the same level then what are they really like what are they, you know what are, what is their position in life i think some of those thoughts might be accelerated by taking on a padawan because that's not something a normal 15 year old jedi knight does and there aren't many normal 15 year old jedi knights i think throughout star wars history yeah, I was that. I kind of, that's kind of why I brought up the uh, the whole um, Sith order um, point. But I guess I was more commenting toward um, like the dark side because yeah, I feel like these. I feel like these characters are being set up to uh, to be impressionable and like like even if they are masters at fifteen, you know, I feel like that is more of the reason to for you to be susceptible to like shifting, you know. And so I guess that's that's what my theory was on like where this or where um, Ernesto's arc would go or Emiri's or you know something like that. And I think it very well could be because there is one of the things with Anakin was the expectations around him being the chosen one and everybody knowing that he's the chosen one. Right. The way they look at him differently and and. Renestra seems to have those expectations on her. And then also Emery, nobody expects him to be this great Jedi, but he also, he seems to have such high expectations of himself. And he, he talks about, I think, in the book about being taller than most of the Padawans and, and, or the young lady. He's just, he has these uh, physical traits that he feels should make him stronger, but he's not as strong as he wants to be. And so he sets expectations for himself while the Order seems to have set expectations for Venestra and, and both of them are kind of challenged with how to meet those expectations. I think that could be something that both unites them and maybe makes them very different Jedi, but it could also, like you said, lead them to the dark path. Yeah, I mean, I know there's a lot of criticisms online from people who haven't read the book who are like, oh, instantly, like, it's a 15-year-old girl who's a Jedi Knight, right? It's even worse than Ray. It's even worse than uh, Anakin, which is like, uh, first of all, read the book. They're much more three-dimensional, fleshed-out characters than 
you're trying to write them off to be. But yeah, I mean, what what sort of Jedi will she be? Being 15 as a Jedi Knight doesn't mean she's going to be a master when she's 18. I think a lot of her journey as a Jedi Knight, I mean, we, when we look at Elzar Man, he's clearly a capable Jedi and the light of Jedi, and he's closely aligned with Sil and Geos, who's a Jedi Master, and uh, Avar Chris, who's a Jedi Master. So how come he doesn't? Well, he's a bit more experimental. He kind of tweaks around with how he uses the Force. But he's also much older and mature and not necessarily as reckless as someone who half his age would be. So in, in what way will Vernestra change, right, in her process of becoming a Jedi? Because I think, as you mentioned before, Liam, like, maybe the beginnings of Anakin's and Obi-Wan's relationship, especially how, like, Obi-Wan carried throughout the episode two until Geonosis, obviously. He was using Qui-Gon's lightsaber, you know. Um, he's He gets the long hair, he gets the beard like Qui-Gon. He visually and physically tries to be like Qui-Gon as much as he can be. He tries to lecture him as Qui-Gon lectured uh, Obi-Wan in the past. Um, I mean, yeah, he is trying to be like all those things, but then as the war goes on, as Anakin trains Ahsoka, as Return of the Jedi shows up, it's clear that he's also like learned to be himself. Basically, he's learned to become the negotiator. He's learned to, you know, balance his old feelings with Satine, with his loyalty to the Republic. Um, he's learned to, you know, let Anakin have leeway in his life and support him no matter what because it makes him happy. You know, there, there's there's a lot of different things that just come with living a life. And I'm very curious to see just how much life of Ernestra's that we follow and how much of Emery's that we follow, right? Right now they're Jedi uh, Knight and Jedi Padawan paired together in Master and Apprentice role, but you know, since High Republic goes on for so long, how do they break apart? How do they change in their relationship? There, there's so much possibility with this that I think I understand why they put two very young characters with two very strangely different power dynamics together, because they're still relatable, but that relatability only takes them so far, and now there's so much more opportunity for their dynamic to change, to see how the Jedi around them change because of their relationship and stuff like that. Yeah, totally agree. And I think this is a testament to, like we said last week, the High Republic Initiative. And it it's the fact that you can read this story, and while it might not, the events in this might not really have much importance on the grander scheme. They're really good characters and they're fleshed, fleshed out well and they're fun to read. And I think for a short little story that's not going to take you that much time to get into, if, if anybody's listening is hesitant or just even slightly interested about reading The Tenth Verge, I'd highly recommend it. I, I don't think you're not going to get as compelling of a story as you would in one of these more adult novels, but if you're looking for something that's going to take you or hours at most probably to read. This is a great place to go. Couldn't put it any better. Um, well, I think that's our good way to sum up our feelings around Test of Courage. Obviously, we really liked it. And just like Light of Jedi, it provides just as many possibilities and intrigue without necessarily having a galaxy-spanning story. 
and that's not to say the light of jedi isn't intriguing i mean that book has so much going on with the nile and all the jedi um but i think now is a great time to shift over to our subtopic for the week which is just star wars legends and i say just star wars legends knowing that it's a massive 20 30 year old uh part of the star wars history that technically isn't part of canon anymore and i think i want to give a special shout out to star wars explain uh, he's got a video on his channel called star wars the complete legends history um and obviously he doesn't go to every single detail but he really goes throughout the whole galactic history you know everything from like the mmos books rpgs just movies any no there's no there's no non-canon movies but you know anything that isn't the original six and isn't the clone wars and 2013 was labeled as legends and these these legends were theoretically connected and authors wrote these stories as they were connected to different parts of the star wars history and universe but as we all know george lucas kind of likes doing things his own way because star wars is his uh you know baby his design um and a lot of legends is also conflicting and cluttered and focuses on a lot of niche and stuff like that so without further ado i think i want to just say what are you guys' thoughts and interactions and history with the legends material wait i guess first first off why isn't it canon again uh simple reasons is money um i mean essentially by 2013 when disney bought star wars right there's so much information um covering like essentially like millions of like from the very beginning of the star wars galaxy to like 200,000 years before battle of yavin to you know all the way to like 140 years after the battle of yavin there's just so much stories that were told and created mostly through books and comics that we made it almost impossible for uh, you know new stories new movies to really fit in between uh, especially stuff after episode six which is probably what everyone else was when the eu was like first starting off with the legends of you you know you want to follow more stories upon solo and luke and leia and like what's going on with the imperials what's going on with the new republic stuff like that um so there's the, their kids their the future generations all those things right essentially disney would have to either make a film based on all that material without also disrupting that material or they could just have a clear slate and make the films that they wanted to because another huge thing about the eu was that george made it very clear that while this stuff is all stuff that i'll merchandise and uh, allow you to play around with it's not necessarily at the same level of canon as my movies as the things that i make myself so yeah that's that's why legends when disney came through they're like it made more sense for them to clear things out i got you yeah legends for me george was one of the reasons i didn't get into legends as much as i got around the time when i started reading uh, star wars books and that was mainly because he always said uh that none of this stuff counts and he doesn't read it and he doesn't care about it but that doesn't mean there aren't a lot of great stuff here and when they re relaunched uh the canon initiative 
that's when I really found myself wanting to get into Star Wars books and into Star Wars expanded universe. Um, so most of my exposure to Legends as a kid was to video games, because basically any video game we played pre EA is now Legends, Force Unleashed, or Knights of the Old Republic, or even some of those Clone Wars video games, or the Rogue Squadron games. That was my big exposure as a kid to Star Wars Legends. But since I've uh, done a lot more research over the last couple of years, especially, especially post Last Jedi, because of all the controversy surrounding Luke and about adapting books versus retranslating them to fit Luke's age versus the Luke we get in The Last Jedi. People had such strong opinions. I definitely wanted to kind of see what's out there and it's it's definitely an overwhelming world of of crazy continuity and ridiculous stories on top of a lot of the ones that are very much so uh, uh so well written that i think a lot of them could be brought into canon or should be adapted there's a lot of great characters out there and stuff that have felt you know part of the star wars universe for so long so many of these ideas and so many of these people are are part of star wars to so many so many of us because they've been around for five thirty years but i think that to me is the thing that intrigues me the most about legends moving forward is is their place as the jumping off point for canon and as we've seen with the mandalorian people get really excited when you bring this stuff back and we saw with rebels with thrawn um so I, I think Legends is such a gold mine for so many great ideas. But personally, for me, I, I think so many great ideas pre-Phantom Menace, but there's a lot of interesting ideas post-Return of the Jedi too, but uh, most of my favorite stuff is pre-Phantom Menace. Yeah, just building off of that, I mean, I think we've all heard of the Knights of the Old Republic and that came out at the same time as the prequel trilogy was coming out. And it was like 3,000 or almost 4,000 years before uh, The Phantom Menace. And I mean, those games, especially once you give uh, KOTOR to the restored content mod, like they become some of the most deep and rich and layered uh, versions of storytelling in the Star Wars universe not just in like the world building and the locations and stuff, but also a lot of it has to do with the force and the Jedi and the Sith. Like what is their relationship? I mean, is it truly makes sense to help everyone out? If helping out someone who's only temporarily delaying the inevitable, if not making things worse. Um, so like stuff like that, I mean, I'm in full agreement. Those games are, still fun to play despite being very turn-based very old outdated and obviously the graphics are a little bit rough these days um and there are rumors that they're going to be remastered before um like a reimagining of knights of the old republic comes out which also brings to question how will knights of the old republic work because um in high republic we have i guess a galaxy that is capable of using hyperspace but is still a little bit nervous uh, is still not fully sure about the outer rim about the expansion region 
about the unknown regions, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, back to Knights of the Old Republic as a whole, great stuff. And, you know, I, my experience with Star Wars Legends, well, I know I might be a bit more critical of it all, but it's also because it's the stuff that made me continue to be a Star Wars fan for a long time. Um, at, at some point, my parents just, when I was growing up, were like, you're just too addicted to Star Wars. You just watch the movies. You just play games all the time. Like, you need to try other things and stuff like that. So what those kind of stripped away from me for a little bit, you know, uh, as like an eight-year-old, you're like, okay, this is terrible. What am I supposed to do about this? Obviously, there's cartoons and a bunch of other things I was doing, but like Star Wars is Star Wars. It's so big. It's so exciting. It's so visually fascinating. So what I started doing is I started reading a lot of the books that I could get my hands on from the school library. Uh, I remember reading like part of the Thrawn trilogy, uh, Dark Nest, some NJO New Jedi Order books, um, just some comics here and there from the public library. And most especially, I just started reading articles and articles from Wikipedia, right? Just trying to get all the details that I can about Star Wars. So. Yeah, all the stuff pre-TPM, uh, the Phantom Menace, a lot of that is really good. Other than maybe the timings of things. A lot of things are just so spaced out in such a strange way. It's like, okay, how does a story that only takes place Knights of the Old Republic, 20 years after Tales of the Jedi, how does the galaxy look more like the prequel era, whereas in Tales of the Jedi, they were still talking about hyperspace prospecting, they had much more Egyptian and uh, uh, Middle Eastern technology and uh, culture to it. A lot more uncivilized parts of the galaxy, like things like that, that don't always connect well. But as a as a whole, it was still really fun to read. Whereas stuff like the New Jedi Order, um, I guess to a degree almost all those standalone trilogies like the Corellian trilogy and all those things post Return of the Jedi. Those things didn't work as much for me because they were always trying to kind of one up uh, whatever another author did. Like, for example, um, one of the biggest criticisms of the Jedi Academy series where Luke kind of forms his own temple at Yavin for and starts taking apprentices is that he eventually, Han Solo eventually um, finds this kid on one of the Kessel mines um, and when he's trapped there. And the kid's got immense force powers. He's great and all that. He's definitely tempted by the dark side. But they somehow fall into possession of this ship called the Sun Crusher. And it's like no bigger than maybe the Millennium Falcon, maybe double the size or something. But it's got the ability to destroy entire solar systems because it has these capsules or proton torpedoes that you can shoot inside the suns and cause like a whole chain reaction and destroy whole solar systems. All right, that's that's already crazy enough because that upends anything about the Death Star. And I'm not saying I'm a huge fan of Star Killer Base, but it seems like at least a logical progression from that. It doesn't seem like if this technology was already existing for the Empire, why would this be just hidden away? And then you see something like the Corellian Trilogy, where all of a sudden Han's got this, like, cousin who's, like, 
terrible and loves to instigate like wars and cause extreme political instability. And there's a station called Center Point Station that, as the heroes find out, has the ability to have like gravity wells that can move planets. And the whole Corellian system is like artificially created from different planets that were forcefully moved by whatever strange, mysterious aliens that are non-existent um, that helped create the Corellian system. And then, like in another trilogy, suddenly that station itself also has the power to basically do what the Sun Crusher did, but also cause like huge, massive like core explosions and planets and stuff. Like things like that were already annoying. Like okay, like everything post Return of the Jedi, you have to make these things even bigger and bigger and bigger, and that makes a lot of the original trilogy feels small and insignificant when it's a galaxy-spanning empire and a kid who's the son of the Emperor's Dark Enforcer and his twin sister that come together and rise up and help free the galaxy. Like, that should still, no matter what, in my mind, still be the biggest story. And I know for so many people, that's just the only way Star Wars continued for a long time. And it's fun to follow these characters, but make them even more overpowered and overpowered and overpowered was yeah no it was fun to read as a kid it was very descriptive but it wasn't necessarily real or grounded in strong storytelling and then to suddenly have the new jedi order come after that where there's an extra extra galactic species called the yuzon vong who are like organic creatures who don't use any tech who can't be affected by the force to suddenly take over the entire galaxy to kill like Chewbacca, kill Anakin Solo, uh, who is the youngest son of Han and Leia legends, to destroy whole planets, to have, I don't, there was just so much to it that it's like a, so much of what it, it was intended to be, like a nice like reset, a nice new big enemy, ended up just wiping away all the things that people have gotten so used to of like, oh, these characters will never die. Like the biggest problem of all of these stories was that they weren't necessarily guided by someone like a George Lucas or like some sort of canon um, group. And that's what made it less and less appealing to me. And then by the end, when you're like 60 or 70 years in the future, when these stories have built off of like an entire galaxy being disrupted by this, crazy alien species suddenly now you got like these weird like stuff from like the mortis arc of the clone wars suddenly there's this creature called abeloth and she's not in the story arc for the clone wars she's not related to the son or the daughter but she's apparently part of that and she causes so many different things she caused so many people in the galaxy like jason solo han's oldest son to turn to evil and there's like suddenly another lost tribe of the Sith from that like connects from like Naga Sadao's conquest 3,000 years before the Phantom Menace and they just crash landed on a planet and then suddenly emerged 60 years after Return of Jedi. Like there's just so much dead weight and confusion and complexity that it's became a hassle to read. And I love a lot of the concepts a lot of the characters but i started to grow to 
almost ignore and not care for the books as much as when I first did. I think you hit on a really important thing, and it was something that I've thought about a lot with uh, especially the pre-Phantom Menace stuff in Legends. It's that it spans so much time that really it's an unnecessary amount of time to span like 200,000, 300,000 years of, of fighting between Jedi and Sith. And while that all seems great, if we were adapting it to canon or especially to TV or film, because I feel like that's, that's where the old Republic belongs. Video games are pretty much as close to TV and, fil uh, and, uh, and films as we're going to get. But I think we are, if they release that game and it blows up again, like it did back in 2003, then I think we're in for a lot of, of Old Republic, back to the Old Republic era stories. And I think we can go 3,000 years or 3,500, 4,500 years before episode one and be safe. But I think we got to condense, especially the beginnings of the Jedi Order and split with the Sith and all of that type of stuff. It all has to be condensed, much so that you know it's going to have to take place in like a ten thousand year period. Because a thousand years right now seems like a lot for for canon for most people in canon, and I can't imagine going too much further ahead of the the establishment of the Republic. And there's a lot of great stories that could be told then. And I think if I was looking at it from Disney's perspective, I'm sure they're afraid to go that far ahead with very few elements that will be recognized by the general public. I think that, in my opinion, that was why they went High Republic first before they went Old Republic. But to talk about um, the Old Republic as a, as a film or as, as a game, do you guys think they would bring back most of those same elements because i mean in my opinion revan revan's story is one of the great star wars character stories in all of the history of of star wars whether it's legends or canon uh, he is one of the best best characters in the whole thing especially because of his his fall his redemption his fall or redemption again depending on what you choose um he's such a an interesting and fascinating character going between the light side and the dark side, and he's so emblematic of what the writing about the early Jedi, uh, with the and with their influence by the Republic and and the Sith Empire and and all of that, the constant warring. He's so emblematic of like crazy shifts between dark Jedi and light Jedi and Sith and Mandalorians and, and all the crazy actions that were going on at the time. I think. I think they have to go with Revan. They have to go with Malak. I, I want to see Nihilus too. Sion and uh, Treya. But for me, Revan is the absolute one that I would want to see if they retold this story. Yeah, I mean, before I answer that, I, I, I want to kind of pose a side question to Jared. I mean, obviously, you heard me rant, and then you heard Liam rant to some degree as well. But I think it's fair to say you probably haven't dived into all this stuff as much as we did growing up. But like, what are your thoughts on just like hearing our thoughts? 
I think it was because it was so expansive that I never dived into it. Um, so I guess like to anyone listening, I have like no idea about any of the legends material. Um, the only, I guess, exposure that I've had to it was, um, through Couture or, um, through just imagery that I've seen by illustrations, um, whether official or fan-made, uh, like for Revan's character design, I feel like that's so iconic to Star Wars in general. Um, I guess only because off the basis that I know what he looks like. Um, but I think only recently I, uh, I read his, his history and everything. And I feel like there's just a lot of complexities and yeah, no, I, I think you're definitely right about, um, it's not like there's too, there's almost too much history for it to be consumable by Disney. And I, I think that's why I kind of get it now that why Disney dropped the legends material. Um, it's just because it's not comprehensible and in a, like, I guess to kids, you know, if, if you were to, if you were to pose this story, uh, to like a consumer basis, it would just be way too diluted and, um, just super expansive, uh, where you would have to be super invested in the entire lore, uh, to be able to expand on. But I mean, like, that's not to say that I don't want to see it. You know, I would love to see that. Um, and I guess just the stories that that brings, because I feel like, you know, the like you said, the Star Wars universe is so expansive. And um, I think it really sparks up a lot of, uh, um, I uh, like iconic imagery that I think is so fascinating. Like the universe in, of Star Wars is so fascinating. Um, and I mean, I would love to see films of that. <laughs> I think my, my tiny smooth brain, you know, can only consume visual content. Um, but I, you know, I think like these stories are so complex and I think I guess by what I've heard from you guys, the characters seem equally as complex. Um, so I guess like, I guess my, my brief take on it is that like, I would love to see these stories expanded in a visual format. Um, and did you say that, uh, what's his name? Um, Thrawn was part of the part of legends. Like, was he originally part of Legends? Yeah, so I, I guess right after Return of the Jedi, for people who are listening who don't know, I mean, Lucas made these two animated shows like Droids and that followed C-3PO and R2 and then Ewoks because, you know, Ewoks are marketable and cute and stuff and just followed stuff. And he made some, like, TV live-action movies. Uh, the Marvel line still was churning out some stories, so... You could see some characters from the very early lines kind of continue their stories after Return of the Jedi and all that. But but basically after those ended, right, like let's say 86, 87, there was not really much else to Star Wars. I mean, Lucas was like, he had a divorce, uh, I think right before or during Return of the Jedi. Um, he was drained from Star Wars as a whole. So like the, the brain of behind Star Wars was basically disconnected after a while and all these other 
I mean, designers, writers, characters, they all kind of went their separate ways. Um, and at one point, you could basically argue that Star Wars was dead in water, right? There wasn't, there wasn't really anything new coming from it. It seemed like it was a great trilogy that was just going to be just that, you know, great space story, space fantasy, hero's journey, but nothing more to it. Um, and then the Thrawn trilogy from Timothy Zahn was ordered and allowed to come out. Um, his first book was Heir to the Empire, and essentially that book deals with uh, the remnants of the Empire being coalesced under this blue-skinned, red-eyed alien called Thrawn, or Mithrandu, or whatever his full name is. And he's this tactical genius and everything, and he's ready to strike back at this fledgling New Republic. It's only like a few years in the making. And then there's Luke with his own story, where he's trying to... Well, at this point, uh, I believe uh, Obi-Wan has barely been contacting him anymore. I don't think Yoda has either. I think Obi-Wan actually might have said goodbye to him. Like, this is the last time that you need to start by yourself and find out more about the Jedi and all of that for yourself. And he finds this Jedi called Joris C. Kabat. Joris C. Kabat, I don't know exactly how to say it. But it's like, okay, this is great. I can start my training with someone from the old Republic era. Not the old Republic, sorry, but like the Republic of his father's period. Um, and these stories kind of are all intertwined because in truth, this is, Joris is a clone himself of uh, of a of the original Jedi Master who was on this big spaceship with a bunch of other Jedi exploring to the uh, unknown regions um, that was crash-landed by Palpatine and through the help of Thrawn at this point. And there's also uh, Thrawn's just trying to use all his tactical superiority to destroy the rebels. He's in connection, at, well, in league with this dark Jedi clone, Joris Kabat, because um, he's got these trains like snail creatures that help repel the force so they both are, agree to work with each other to help each other with their goals and it's considered essentially this the book itself is considered a, probably like the main reason why we have anything after that from star wars like it's what reignited people's interest huge big, uh, big bestseller in new york times the trilogy each of the books was a top selling book of that year or something um expanded the stories of that came after Return of the Jedi without necessarily dampening what happened before. Like it was a big galaxy spanning story, but it wasn't like here's Death Star three or here's like this big dark evil that's gonna replace Palpatine. It was more about like, okay, how did all these pieces kind of you know settle down and then come back together? And Thrawn because he doesn't have the force or anything and he's just his visually, he looks so cool with red eyes and blue skin and all that. And Luke training as a Jedi and knowing more about like the prequels, which at this point hadn't even been established. All these little things made the story so compelling for a lot of people. Um, so yeah, Thrawn was recanonized, but he was also the reason why Star Wars existed after Return of the Jedi in the first place. I see.
Yeah, and and that really, like, as important as as the Thrawn trilogy and the heir to the Empire uh, was for reigniting Star Wars in the '90s, Thrawn himself was kind of equally as important for canon to show everybody that hey, look, just because we said these stories don't exist doesn't mean we can't bring all this stuff back in a way that can be adapted to our our universe that we currently are making. And so, yeah, for, I think, the most interesting part of Legends, currently, if you're a person who only wants to read canon and goes, well, what's the point of these stories? Because they don't really exist anymore. Uh, it, they don't have any impact on the universe. And, and where we used to get, as, as I've complained many times, Legends books used to go and tell us these gigantic stories of such huge import about the formations of the Sith and the formations of the Jedi and the, like my, one of my favorite stories, Darth Plagueis about Palpatine's master and Palpatine's rise to the Sith and how they manipulated Phantom Menace and all of that type of stuff. And, and they were our post return of the Jedi seven, eight, and not, you know, and, and about 70 <laughs> episode 70, you know, if you want to count each book as one episode, uh, they it couldn't fit in our um, canon universe the way they were. So Disney kind of took a safe route with, and I, as I said, I keep complaining about this. They keep taking the safe route of let's explain one random character and just do a little biography about them in a short little book. It's a one-off and it won't connect really to anything. And if you read, read it, even if it's a great book, even if people love it, we basically will never mention it in the movies, even though we promised we would by saying that it's canon. And so what Thrawn did when he was brought into Rebels is just like, hey, there's, you know, there could be some importance to this. And, and Legends now, while it doesn't exist, it's still an exciting place to maybe go funnel for ideas for like, this could be, a lot of these stories could be the future. It, of Star Wars, even though they've already come out, we they they can mine for details, and I think by making seven, eight, and nine, we've discussed this before too. It Disney was caught in the trap of there's all these stories that people love, a lot of them aren't really able to fit in a Star Wars film real film universe context because a lot of them are so ridiculous or, or outlandish, but a lot of them are really, really beloved by the people. And, but our actors are all 30 plus years older than they were when uh, Return of the Jedi came out. And a lot of these books take place when they are still young adults, when they're in their 30s or their late 20s. So, how do we do this? And they are kind of stuck in that pocket for the sequel trilogy. And so, unfortunately, I don't think a lot of the post Return of the Jedi books will have much to do with the stories of Luke, Han, and Leia. And as I've speculated before, I would love to see that gap, that 30 year gap filled in for Luke with characters like Kyle Katarn or Mara Jade or some of these stories brought back. We have plenty of time to do some of them, but obviously we can't do all of them. Uh, ben Solo has now replaced basically Ben Skywalker, Anakin Solo, Dana Solo, Jason Solo. Um, 
So we're never going to see that, those big, huge arcs again and probably never see the Yuzong Vong or any of that. But there's still so much that you can mine and adapt give Luke more of an arc between Return of the Jedi and Force Awakens and Last Jedi to give him his rise and fall. And like we said earlier, create this whole era that exists before the Phantom Menace. I mean, there's there's thousands and hundreds of thousands of years of stories that take place before the Phantom Menace. Like uh, for me, <laughs> I've been rereading re Plagueis and oh my gosh, like I want to see Palpatine's rise so badly on film. Like we we need that young Palpatine story. So there's still so much value in these stories. And I think for, for any filmmaker or anybody working in the Star Wars universe, it's highly important to at least look back at some of the things that worked about Legends, even if, if you don't want to copy the stories per se, or the stories are a little too ridiculous or a little too 90s or early 2000s for today's taste. But there's still so many great ideas peppered throughout all these that really should be looked at, even if they're not brought back completely. Totally, totally. Um, but I guess going back to like the very first thing that we we're talking about, um, Knights of the Old Republic. Yeah, I mean, I want that to be made canon again. Um, and I know the story has to change just because they're games um, and old RPG turn-based games that are very much dependent on your choice, which is great as a terms of, of a game, but not necessarily great for canon. I think one of those things that always made people struggle with like picking up like Star Wars The Old Republic or KOTOR and all that is like, yeah, I mean, I might have played this game like 10 years ago, but then now that he's suddenly not a good guy, like he turned evil and all that. Um, and then in between KOTOR 1 and 2, Revan goes off and finds out like the Sith Empire, even though he turned into a Sith um, when he like left the galaxy and came back with the Star Forge and his old fleet. Like he needs to rediscover who this even greater, darker evil Sith was, which is like the whole basis of Star Wars The Old Republic, um, which is to be fair to it, fun game, but it's filled with a lot more blandness a lot more uh building and less intrigue um but when you're trying to convert this stuff to disney canon we have to understand that disney has probably made the smartest move that it could ever do um and it's basically made sure that star wars is once again defined by its visual medium i mean much of the superhero movies and CGI and everything that we have comes from the original trilogy prop builders, comes from the prequel trilogy, CGI and digital filmmaking. Like there's so much of the MCU that owes itself to the direct innovations that George Lucas did. And, you know, to see a story like Knights of the Old Republic with its complexities, with its iconic visuals of like Revan with his mask, Malik with his cut off jaw, right? Those are things that I think still really do work in canon. The, obviously the timing and spacing of it is always so strangely spaced out, but the High Republic is in that tiny space of time where there wasn't really any content either for um, the old EU. 
But now that it's changed a lot of things about the galaxy, we have to consider like, okay, how does that change the story of Knights of the Old Republic, right? If people are scared about hyperspace in general, there's still a period of, I guess, growth and power and strength and unity. What comes before that? What are the Dark Ages? Like, is that what Knights of the Old Republic is going to be set in? Uh, and I will agree that Knights of the Old Republic 1 is probably the most well-rounded story that could be told and it's what a lot of people wished like a prequel trilogy was going to be uh, because of how well done the twists about Revan uh Darth Revan being uh brain not like uh not brainwashed but like mind wiped to go chase after his old apprentice and take down the empire uh all those different things like great great story topics and all that but then you have to say okay what happened for him to just disappear in the second game? Why is he not part of that? Who is this new character? Mitra Sirk. Like, yeah, she's great. And she's got just as compelling of a story. And her supporting characters are honestly even better. And a lot of questions about the universe, the force, uh, the people of the planets. Those things are addressed in a very different way. And I know a lot of people like to make the comparison that KOTOR 2 is like, what Ryan Johnson was trying to do with The Last Jedi. I think it's a, a decent comparison, maybe not a totally correct comparison, but they do both explore the Force in a very different way than any other Star Wars story has. So I would love to see those two made into maybe a unified game where the middle passage between transferring off from Revan to Mitra is fixed off. I know a lot of people didn't like the Revan book that came in between. Um, a lot of people just don't like Star Wars The Old Republic because it doesn't truly continue Knights of the Old Republic properly. Um, but then there's also the question of like, okay, Disney's been putting out all these shows, right? Ahsoka's coming out. Uh, Andor is coming out. Mandalorian Season 3 is coming out. Book of Boba Fett. Those, these are the things that people will be paying for to watch and we'll see build up the period after Episode 6 and before Episode 7. So are we going to just throw our biggest stories and biggest content uh, troves, essentially, from the Legends era. Are we going to throw those into games? I, I don't think they will. I think, I think those stories, the big stories of the games, will probably be adapted into a TV show or something. And we might get something of a KOTOR game more, uh, more in line of maybe something from like Zane Carrick and the Old Republic comics. Uh, where he's like a Padawan on the run after witnessing Jedi Masters uh, kill their Padawans. Like, it, I, know, I know as you were saying, Liam, that like, yeah, the books for the most part in Disney have been underwhelming because they follow a character and just like have like some small one-off story with side characters and planets that have no effect on what they're originally sourced from. Um, they only had context, but... At the same time, I don't think we're going to see Knights of the Old Republic being as big as it is become just like another series of games like Jedi Fallen Order. I think we're going to have some little bit of respect for that era from Disney, knowing that how big and iconic and how many stories came out of that. And I think they're going to really try to make that into a TV show or a movie or a trilogy or whatever it may be. I just... But we live in an era now where Disney basically owns so many different properties and has so much of domination of the box office 
and now also starting to dominate the streaming world, it doesn't make sense in my mind to just take something as cool as that and leave it into a game, right? We've seen Thrawn and he's in Rebels and that's great. It's a little bit of a tight spot for his story because, you know, when we first see him in um, uh, what, uh, what is in the Thrawn trilogy, he's a lot more of a bigger prominent figure. He's like the big bad. But then suddenly in The Mandalorian, he's name dropped by Ahsoka and you're like, okay, maybe is there some sort of Thrawn trilogy being adapted in some sort of way afterwards, after Mando, or is it part of Mando? Like, the intrigue of those stories are so big now, and the implications of like, oh, what are they harvesting from all these old books that I don't see them being relegated to games or books. I think something like High Republic is great because it's it works because it's peacetime, it's because it's, it's more character studies, and even those materials are going to be showing up in animated shows and obviously the acolyte and everything i'm I'm guaranteeing you there's more high republic stuff we're going to see in games or uh, tv shows or whatnot but to leave it to just books i don't think is the smartest move disney could make because as we we're breaking down and discussing legends it's so complicated it's so much words uh, and history over thousands and thousands of years that it's frankly just not appealing to a lot of people, right? If you want to be able to pick up a Marvel movie, you know exactly where it is in the timeline. You know that there's some connection to the other movies, and that's and you, there's an overarching story. Now, Star Wars doesn't necessarily need to have point A to point B having a whole overarching story, and then part of that is uh, part of that is just like at some like ten hundred year period Skywalker story, but it doesn't mean it can't have several big arcs and different events. And I think that's why Disney seeing how like now they have to work off of the Marvel era of the infinity war saga. Now they have to consider what's the next step. What's our next big story. What are we building towards in the same way? I think Disney's going to harvest these big stories and make them their own big arcs, their own big eras and definitely ground them in TV shows or even movies. Yeah, I'd agree with that post or pre uh, or I mean pre Phantom Menace. Um, I just don't really see how many of these stories are going to come back post Return of the Jedi, at least not to the extent they were. And obviously, as you said earlier, most of them are pretty ridiculous with the type of stakes that they have. But at the time when they were coming out, there wasn't really even a thought of more Star Wars movies, let alone six more in the Skywalker saga to come out. So. Uh, I think I think pre pre Phantom Menace stuff. Yeah, I think they'll they'll work their way towards uh, the old Republic. And as we see, the High Republic is, I think, a little bit of a safe bet for them to see how popular these books are. But they still can fit characters like Yoda and, and Opal Rancisis and um, Yariel Poof names we know in the, these stories, and see if that can market it towards. People who might not be willing to check it out, but I think Disney underestimates the willingness of people to move on the name Star Wars without Skywalker. And and Rogue One was a huge success for them, and that didn't even have a hint of Skywalker in it. It's, it did have Empire and Rebels, but 
you know, we can move on. And I think these shows are obviously going to be where they test the waters for that. The Acolyte will be the earliest live action thing we'll get so far in Star Wars um, when it comes out finally. And I think that will really, hopefully it does really well because that will really test the water for them to say, okay, do people want to see what happened before these movies started? And I think we, we all really do. <laughs> and that's why for us, I think, as I won't speak for everybody, but for me, pre-Phantom Menace stuff, it's not only the stuff that I can go back and read with Legends and suspend my disbelief a little bit more because it's so far removed from the movies and the characters that I know, but it's also the stuff that's most fascinating to me because it feels like it's its, its own new universe where anytime you go post-Rise of Skywalker now, you're going to feel like you have to at least tie in uh, the old movies or the old characters or at least mention them. They could do what uh, Star Wars Legacy did and go way off into the future post Rise of Skywalker, but still there's going to be ramifications from uh, all nine movies. Otherwise, what's the point of going past that period? So I think pre-Phantom Menace is really really the um, main way they need to go for the rest of their adaptations from, from Legends. Yeah. There's stuff post was... Legends too, right? Or I mean, post, um, like, uh, are the, is there any material like after episode six in Legends or is like, is it, is it all kind of like a pretense type of thing? No, no. I mean, there, that, that's the thing, right? What, what we're trying to say is that everything before the Phantom Menace, there's thousands and thousands of years, but like it's all spaced out and enough of it still works and you can still say oh it connects well enough to the prequels but everything after episode six right now is kind of wiped clear because instead of three solo kits there's only ben solo instead of the yuzon vong and imperial remnant there's the first order um and these stories they follow luke leia and han for so long that like they're still like considered the top dogs even like 50 years after like when they're 60 or 70 years old they're like still the biggest players in the galaxy um and then there's like a suddenly like this the whole like liam mentioned star wars legacy that takes place maybe 40 like 140 years after um return of the jedi or and it's just so dis it, it has enough a disconnect that it's like okay there are things like skywalkers are still around there's like a new sort of sith called the one sith and all that but there, yeah, I mean, all those things are a little bit more complicated and messy because a lot of that stuff that came out after, like, the one-upping series that I mentioned, the New Jedi Order, was, like, their big initiative, but it completely destroys the whole galaxy after that. And even stories that are 140 years after Return of the Jedi still make mention of, like, stuff that happens in the New Jedi Order because it was so big, it destroyed the entire galaxy, like... If we thought the Empire was bad, those guys were crazy bad. Yeah, I feel like I feel like um, given that uh, just just based off the movies alone, uh, it it seems like the universe is weirdly small, only because we're only following like Han and Leia and or the Skywalkers, 
Um, but like hearing a bit of what you guys are talking about of, of the legends material, I, I feel like the universe is so much larger. Um, and given that there was a whole entire threat on top of, you know, um, in between six and seven, I think there's, there's a lot to consider when like diving into that in a, in a movie format, because that would kind of reinform the rest of the movies. Right. Yeah, completely. It would absolutely it, yeah. It would change. You have to really be very particular about what you could bring back from Legends, just because of where the Force Awakens starts, and and it is it is kind of interesting how many new weird threats we get post Return of the Jedi and Legends, but yet in canon we basically go back to Empire versus Rebels thirty years after Return of the Jedi, so. Like, is there room for weird threats? Because it seems like the galaxy stays pretty much the same. Um, and I don't think we're going to be able to fit any of that stuff really in. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of the only reason why Rogue One worked too, right? Because it was kind of focusing on this micro aspect of the existing story. It wasn't really like creating anything new per se, but it was more... Um, zoned in on a particular aspect of the original story. Yeah. yeah. Informing what happened before episode four. Yeah, I mean, in a sense, you could argue the whole movie was made because he needed to explain, like, well, why is there this, like, the whole point of the Death Star, why is there, like, this small weakness that, why wasn't this identified? How is this just left there, right? And now, they're, they're, essentially, you could say Rogue One is the explanation for that movie. Obviously, Bigger story talks about the rebellion, all these things, but no, I mean you're right. It, it live action stuff that we've gotten so far, other than even even the Mandalorian to a degree is pretty small, but at least it's like moving away from that being tied down to the Skywalkers and everything, um, deliberately at least. But yeah, I mean just building off what Liam said, like who knows what we can do in this thirty years, right? A big thing about. Uh, after episode six in the legends is that okay all these characters uh they suddenly like we get like tens and 20 30 different jedi students obviously those characters become pretty important in the long run of the legends post episode six but when we see episode seven you know ben solo has supposedly massacred a lot of them there probably are a few left behind i don't think we're going to see an order 66 level of decimation I know there's going to be plenty of Jedi left, probably hidden away, probably just disconnecting themselves from politics and everything. Maybe Luke has part of a story that we don't know yet where he tried to fight Snoke before, because obviously they have a pre-existing relationship. Um, who knows what's going to go on with the Mandalorian? Like, are we going to see the... How are we going to see the Mandalorians change? Are we going to see Mandalore redeemed as a planet? Uh, what does Grogu mean to the whole 30-year period, because he is basically Yoda, right? A new Yoda for that era, but he's not in sequels. Like, there's there's enough threads right now that are interesting enough on their own that maybe bringing in all these old ideas don't make a lot of sense. Maybe elements like Thrawn and ships and creatures, those things might happen, but yeah, I think, I think you're right, Liam. It's going to be much harder to fit in, like, 
anything like use on Vong or anything like that stuff just that's impossible. But who knows what else is impossible or I guess more accurately what Disney cares to bring. Yeah, and the, that's they could thrawn the use Yeah, I mean maybe the chiss are a little bit they're not like murderers though. They're 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 their own weird culture too, so But what I was saying was, I don't know where I got cut off, but most of the stuff that happens, um, we get all of Thrawn's origins now during the Clone Wars and and during uh, the Revenge of the Sith and the early days of the Empire. All these books are explaining Thrawn's origins then instead of getting the Thrawn from the era of the Empire, like in Legends. So we could get that for a lot of these bigger threats that are post return of the Jedi now like they could bring him back and pre-phantom menace them make him like a part of the high republic or something or right before the high republic something like that but because they're really the fine line they have to walk before from a thousand years before the phantom menace to the phantom menace is there can be no sith as long as there's no sith they can bring in threats to the Jedi but, but anyways yeah i think that uh We'll pretty much wrap up our discussion on legends. Uh, and we have to thank, obviously, legends for the vast majority of of keeping Star Wars alive, and also for a lot of like the High Republic is the publishing initiative of the High Republic is very much so based on the New Jedi Order and Legacy of the Force and and uh, Fate of the Jedi, those types of publishing initiatives that were done in the two thousands. So they're very much so still having an influence on the world and hopefully they have a further influence Disney can create stories in this world but let's move on to should we do our Star Wars journeys does anybody have anything else to add with that I know for me it's basically been reading Test of Courage also Darth Plagueis Battlefront 2 and Test of Courage on my end so nothing, nothing really new there if you haven't read Darth Plagueis by the way absolutely do yourself a favor, read it. Most pretty much vast majority of it has not been contradicted yet by canon. So if you want to consider it canon, you can. That's kind of what I do until they create their own version of Darth Plagueis. Uh, but does anybody have any other media they've been consuming recently this week? Just Brooklyn Nine Nine. Um, yeah, nothing, nothing new. I, I guess I did spend a lot of time. Once we kind of finalize this topic of legends as part of it, to like read up on the old Wikipedia articles, watch videos and stuff. And yeah, I do want to say again, I really do have strong love and appreciation for legends. But as a kid, a lot of this was amazing, but overwhelming. So I just wanted to like take as much as I could, right? Like all these different servings of food and put it on a plate. But now it's like, okay, I kind of want to have a little bit of breathing room, a little bit of clarity, a little bit of simplification, because at its core, Star Wars is about the hero's journey. It's about good versus evil. It's not 
doesn't necessarily have to be so so complicated so yeah um it was nice to be able to revisit uh legends for myself this weekend um but i've also learned to appreciate the new things about star wars a lot more because of how much more grounded and developed they seem jared have you been watching anything um just just attack on titan but nothing nothing much actually surprisingly yeah kind of the same for me my most of my efforts have gone into star wars this week uh i did watch return of the jedi uh and i i'm enjoying the film i it wouldn't change in my rankings by the way but it stays at number five but i i enjoy the film a lot more and i think doing a lot more dive into legend um, over the last couple of weeks for me has, has given me another you know, re reignited my appreciation for luke and especially this being the first time i've watched return that i post mandalorian season two finale uh there's yeah there's just kind of an excitement about seeing him return of the jedi that i kind of lost since i was a kid on my hundred rewatches since so i think that's gonna do it for the star wars lads podcast this week thank you everybody for listening um make sure to continue to tune in every tuesday when we release new episodes it'll be up on all podcast platforms as well as youtube if you'd like to listen to your podcast there uh, check out our instagram at the star wars lads podcast for any news schedule updates memes or any other star wars content we post regularly on there follow us and, and like all our stuff and see anything related to the podcast there uh, if you have any ideas for topics you'd like us to discuss i know we kind of went into a very broad view of legends and maybe you have a specific story from legends that you really like and you want us to talk more specifically about that story please ask about darth Legus. i'd love to talk about that um send us a dm on instagram or comment on one of our posts or you can email us at star wars lads podcast at gmail.com is our email send us any questions you have or any comments or anything you might like us to discuss we'll love to take your uh thoughts into consideration and we want to make the best podcast for all the view listeners so please get in touch with us if you have any suggestions um again yeah check us out on youtube like and subscribe to any of the videos but that's gonna do it thank you everybody for listening and stay tuned for next week we'll be starting our discussion in the dark i don't think we'll have it done but we'll be into it enough to give you a brief uh initial reaction to it. But thanks for listening. See you all next week.